You know, I can remember as a boy uh, growing up in the Carolinas, primarily in South Carolina, and uh, my mom would often make barbecue chicken. My dad loved barbecue chicken. And so it was my job to go take care of the grill, get the grill ready. Now, this is before the family had a gas grill. So that meant cleaning out the grill from the old charcoal, piling up the charcoal like I had been taught in a pyramid, dousing it with the lighter fluid, lighting it, getting it ready, so that daddy could go out there and put that chicken on it. And he would position that chicken a certain way, and then he would leave me in charge of layering that chicken with the barbecue sauce. You know, so you put a layer of barbecue sauce, you cook it, then you flip it over, and you put another layer on it, and, and the flame would be low, and, and, and it would take, it would, to me it seemed like eternity, because I wanted to go do something else, but I would put layer upon layer upon layer of that barbecue sauce on that chicken. And after a while, I'll be honest with you, it didn't look like chicken anymore. Because if you got a flame, it, it just looks like it's burning. That, that sauce, and it's just like a, a burnt shell on the outside of that chicken with that barbecue sauce. But my dad loved that chicken. But underneath all that layer of stuff was the chicken. And we would eat that all the time. Now, why am I bringing that up? What's that got to do with Galatians? Well, remember last week I told you that Paul is writing a letter to the Galatians because no sooner than he had left, just a few months later, they were already confused again about salvation. They were already confused again about what it meant to be accepted by God. And they had already, because of other influences there, especially Judaizers, that's those who held that the law needed to be kept, had already started adding to the whole concept of what salvation was and what acceptance with God meant. They started layering stuff on top of it. And so he, last week we looked at it, comes right to the heart of the matter and says to them, don't be deceived, you've been deceived. And you've embraced something other than the simple message that I have given you about what salvation is. And so I presented that to you last week. I thought I handled it pretty well. I mean, I thought I did okay. I felt like, Lord, I shared the message you wanted me to share. But so during the week, though, I've had several people tell me that they've been bothered by what I shared. And I thought, okay. Why are they bothered? Well, I realize why they're bothered. Because in our culture, we, we kind of struggle with that message of the gospel. In fact, what I shared with you has often been accused, here's the theological term, as antinomianism. You're like, what does that mean? Well, anti is against. Nomianism means the law. Anti-law. And sometimes those who teach grace are accused of that. But I want to help you to understand the confusion, and then I'm going to show you, because it's amazing, Paul gets right into the heart of the issue because he's building on his argument here. He's saying to them, you're deceived. You're adding to the message. Let me explain to you what the message does and how it takes you in this next section. So let me talk about the confusion a little bit. A couple of 
issues we need to look at here first before we get into it. Okay, here's the first one. It's easy to misunderstand the relationship between acceptance and obedience. It's easy to misunderstand the relationship between acceptance and obedience. One of the issues that was raised with me, and I thought it was a really good issue, is, is that by me sharing what I shared, I was giving you license to do whatever you wanted to do. That basically, you don't have to be obedient, because there's grace, your acceptance with God is not based upon what you do, so therefore you can do whatever you want to do. And that is a legitimate concern. However, I would say to you, that's not what I was saying. Acceptance with God, everyone would acknowledge, means salvation. And you can't do anything to gain your salvation, or I would say to you, or keep it. Would you agree with that statement? Would everybody agree with that? You can't do anything for your salvation. You can't do anything to keep it. Why? Because it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Is that not what, what Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8 and 9? So you say, well, wait a minute now, George, we're told to be obedient, and we have preachers all the time telling us to keep the law, follow the law, do the law, and sometimes they're man-made laws, and, and, and we've heard them all the time, you've got to do this, you've got to show up here, you've got to do this. Yes, I understand. It's easy to misunderstand the relationship because as a believer, you are called to obedience. But obedience now is not what you do for salvation or for acceptance. Here's my second point. Obedience actually is something different. Here's what I want you to see. Obedience is never for acceptance, but rather it is a response to grace. Obedience is never for acceptance with God, but rather it is a response to the grace that Jesus has shown you. Did you understand what I'm saying? I think we understand that from human life. What do you mean? Well, have you ever had something, somebody do something for you, really brought you out of a pickle, you were facing a dire situation, you were facing a circumstance where you didn't know how you were going to get out of that circumstance, you didn't know who was going to be able to help you, and then somebody helped you out of that situation that you were facing, and then once they helped you out of it, you said something like this, I'll do whatever they want me to do. I'll be there for them. And you would do whatever you could to help them because they helped you out of your problem. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been that way about somebody? Why are they doing that? Why? Before they couldn't have cared less about that person. Before they wouldn't have done anything for that person. Or if they did, they would have done it grudgingly. But now because that person was there for them in the midst of their terrible circumstance, in the midst of their situation where they needed to have something happen, now they're willing to go the extra mile for that person because they helped me out, right? What are they doing? They're responding to the grace that was shown to them from that person. See, this is what you need to understand. We are called to be obedient people. We are called to live a certain way. But it's not for acceptance with God. It's in response 
to the acceptance. It's in response to the grace. Do you understand what I'm saying? And here's the amazing thing. It's because of the acceptance and because of the salvation that you can be obedient. Why? He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's changed your heart and your mind. And he gives you the strength to do it. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's completely different. You don't do stuff to gain acceptance with God. See, this is where they're at. They were told, you got to keep the law. Specifically, for the males there, they had to be circumcised. They had to eat certain things and keep the law in certain ways. And that's not what's going on here. But because of salvation now, they can do what they need to do. So, this, Do you understand the confusion? Grace is what's so wonderful about salvation. Because let's remind ourselves, we can't do anything for it. He did it all for us. Where? On the cross. And he gave us victory over sin. And he gave us salvation when he rose again on the third day. See, that's the confusion. So that brings us to our passage, because you're going to see now. He says to them, guys, verse 6 through 10, you've been deceived. Anybody preaching that stuff to you, layering on, adding stuff to the gospel, telling you this is what you need to do, that is accursed, that is condemned. Here's the true gospel. So what we're going to talk about today is the nature of the gospel. And we're going to see it through the life of Paul because Paul in this next section is going to defend himself. He's going to defend his message. And he's going to illustrate it through his life. The apostle is going to talk about his life and tell us what this gospel is. And here's what we're going to see. He's going to talk about the old way of doing things, which, let's be honest, some of us still live in the old way and then he's going to talk about transformation. Transformation that comes through the gospel. So I want you to notice with me. Look with me at verse 11. We're going to read through the end of the chapter. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned then again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the thing which I write to you, indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterwards, 
I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God in me. So here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to look, first of all, actually three sections here. We're going to see the gospel's origin. We're going to see that in verses 11 and 2. And you need to understand this. This is going to help reinforce to you that the issue of acceptance and salvation is not by what you do or what any man does. Okay? I want you to hear that. Then we're going to see the old way. We're going to see that in verses 13 and 14, because Paul talks about the old way, and his reference is the old way of Judaism. And then we're going to see transformation, verses 15 through 24, how his life was transformed and what that means for you and I. So let's talk about the gospel's origin. He's going to talk about the origin of the gospel, and you and I need to understand this. Okay, because what we're talking about here, I don't care what you're seeing on the internet. I don't care what you're seeing on TV. I don't care about some scholar getting on there telling you this, because right now there's a theory out there that all of this got put together around 300 AD when Constantine was emperor. And they just kind of figured this whole system out and they've been fleecing everybody since then. No. Here's Paul writing Sometime around 50, 40s, 50s AD, this is just a few years after, a couple of decades after Jesus was crucified, he's telling you this message has been a while, around a while, and he wants you to understand a couple of things about it. Here's the first one. The message of salvation by grace alone does not originate with men. Look at what he says there. Verse 11, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which is preached by me is not according to man. So the gospel, that you and I are going to hell because of our sin, as a penalty for our sin, and God in his grace sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins so that we can have salvation through our faith in what he's done for us. That didn't originate with men. Why? Because that can't possibly originate with us. We feel everything has to be earned by our efforts. Listen, folks, if you were to go around to any religion of the world, whether it's from animism all the way to the major religions of the world, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, even some forms of Christianity today, I'm going to be honest with you, nobody considers the concept of something being given to you by freely. It all has to be achieved by human effort because that's our bent. We think in terms of what? doing stuff to get stuff, right? Isn't that what Christmas is? The whole concept of Santa Claus, what? He's making his list, checking it twice, seeing if you've been what? Naughty and nice, right? What does that mean? Am I been doing the good things or not? We're, that's our concept of our whole reality. How's your grades? 
We'll give you, we'll go out for dinner if you got good grades or give you money if you got good grades, right? Isn't that what we do? That's the basis for everything. That's the way humanity exists. So a message of salvation by grace alone through faith, that's so contradictory to the way human existence is. And that's why, can I be honest with you, why there is always a tendency to want to add to the message, even in a church like ours. We can do it unknowingly. Add to the whole concept of God accepting us. Why? Because you can get to the place, whether you realize it or not, you get to the place where you start thinking, well, whether or not I should keep going, should keep my doing my devotions, should keep doing this. When, folks, that has nothing to do with your acceptance. That's in response to the acceptance. Do you, do you understand? It's in response to it. Should be. So the message of salvation by grace alone does not originate with men. Here's the final thing I want you to see about this issue with regards to the gospel's origin. And this is what maybe may be new to some of you. I hope it isn't. It is, a, it is the result of the revelation of Jesus Christ to people. The gospel and salvation is the result of the revelation of Jesus Christ to people. Look at what he says in verse 12. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, my understanding of salvation and my understanding of the gospel, the good news of faith alone through Christ, came because I had a revelation, a, a, an experience where I understood who Jesus was. For him, we know that was the Damascus Road. Well, you're saying, well, that's interesting, George, but I haven't had a Damascus Road experience. My mama shared the gospel with me, and I responded. Or I heard a preacher on TV, and I responded. Or I read this, and I responded. Not some kind of crazy experience like what Paul had. Yes, I understand you had that, but I'm also telling you that there's a whole lot more to that experience than you realize that you did have. What do you mean? First of all, I need to tell you that in your natural state, in your unsaved state, you can't see the truth of the gospel. Does everybody understand that? In your natural state, you can't see the truth of the gospel on your own. Anybody know why? Blinded by Satan. Okay, so look at the screen. I'm going to give you two, two verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If I can have that. But even if our gospel is veiled. See, that was the accusation Paul's trying to adjust. If somebody's saying that our gospel is hidden, it's hidden so that people can't understand it. Paul says, no, our gospel isn't veiled. But even if it were, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now, who's those who are perishing? That's the lost. Those are people who are headed to hell. And here's what he says about people who are headed to hell and why they cannot understand. Whose minds the God of this age has what? 
blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So I'm telling you, when you came to Christ and the gospel was there, you had not a Damascus Road experience, but God had an experience with you in that he opened your mind and your heart to, and should I say your spiritual eyes, to the reality of who Jesus was, and you what? Responded. Did you understand what I'm saying? Why can I say that? Because if you don't know Jesus, can you see it? No. How can you see it? God lets you see it. Now do you understand? Hey, by the way, think about it for a moment. Have you ever shared the gospel with somebody? Have you ever shared about Jesus with somebody and they just can't see what you're saying? They just don't see it, no matter how many different ways you try to present it, no matter how much evidence you try to throw out there, they can't see what you're saying, even though it's very obvious to you. They can't see it. They can't even comprehend it. They don't even understand it. How many of you have had that experience? A lot of us here, right? When you hear what Paul's saying in these verses, it makes sense, doesn't it? They can't see it. Which, by the way, can I give you a side note here? So how do you pray for them? God, open their eyes. God, open their eyes. Only you can open their eyes. Open their eyes so that they see. See, this is what I'm trying to tell you. When we first understand the gospel, you need to understand it's not a message that comes from man because man's tendency is to do stuff, add stuff, make sure you do whatever for acceptance with God. Acceptance comes through the revelation of Jesus. When you understand, when he opens your mind to understanding who he is, so you need to understand the gospel is a person. It's Jesus. It's not praying a prayer. It's not being baptized. It's coming to an understanding of who Jesus is. Who's Jesus, folks? The Son of God. And it's through him that salvation comes, through faith. Not what you do. Not where you go. Not how much you give. Not any of that. All that stuff is good. I'm not denying any of that. Someone says you're trying to keep people from coming to the church by telling them they don't have to be here. No, we want you to be here. But you're here because you're here to encourage each other in your what? Relationship with Jesus. And to grow in your relationship with him yourself. So he, to help us to understand this nature of the gospel, the gospel's origin, he wants to reflect from his own life on the old way. For him, the old way was Judaism. For him, the old way was doing stuff. Look at what he says in verses 13 through 14. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond my contemporaries in my own nation, being more zealous, exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. Two things I want you to see, okay, about the old way. 
Number one, it's based on the progressive effort to a, toward a determined goal. That's the old way. Let me explain what I just said to you, because you're like, what in the world did you just say? Here, I'll tell you what I just said. All right, I want you to think with me. Typically, in most, even in church, we have a concept of what spirituality is. We have a concept of what it means to be a good Christian. And so what we determined as being a good Christian, we then make steps in our lives towards that goal. For Judaism, it was to be a certain type of Jew who keeps the traditions, who keeps the law, and he's constantly doing things, working his way towards that level. Now here's the problem with that system and even the system that we have in church. I'm going to be honest with you, we're constantly changing the goal. Constantly changing the goal. So that everybody's continually trying to work at a goal that is always changing. A goal that others have set up. And you can never get there. Do you see the fruitlessness of that? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You've seen this standard where, you, you know, you're not on my level and you've got to come up to my level and then you're working and you're working yourself religiously, trying to be obedient, trying to get to that level, and they're constantly raising the bar for you. Constantly. That's the old way. And here's the, here's the second thing. Religious efforts are motivated by personal zealousness. Zealousness. Because that's your motivation for doing stuff, is you want acceptance with God, and you want acceptance especially. Remember last week we talked about who it is you're trying to please by, by the group as a whole, and so you're trying to achieve this goal, and so you're zealous. And I think about through the years. Through the years, make, think with me. Through the years, you think about people who show up, and they are so, we used to say it this way, they're so on fire for the Lord ever seen that term? Boy, he's really on fire for the Lord. Have you ever noticed they always burn out? Then you don't see them in church anymore? Why? I think they were living in the old way. Living in the old way. Because if you go and talk to them, and I've gone and talked to them, they just give up wasn't working for them anymore. Working for them? So like, do you give up on your marriage because it's not working for you anymore? How crazy is that? We're talking about a relationship here, right? With a living God. See, that's the old way. Where obedience is expected because you're working towards this goal. That's not what it's saying here. But rather, there's something different going on here. Remember I told you, if you think, go back, to, if, you got, if you wrote this down, go back to what I said earlier. Obedience is not the basis for acceptance. It is what? It is results from acceptance. It results from grace. It's in response to grace. Do you understand? Obedience is always a response to grace. 
How can you say that? Well, remember? Famous interaction between Saul and Samuel. There's a couple of famous interactions there. And uh, Samuel says to Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. It's better than your actions. Is doing what God calls you to do in response to him rather than doing it because you think that's what you're supposed to do. It's always a response to grace. Let's go on now. Let's see the transformation that happens here. Again, it's in this section, verses 15 through 23. I just want to make a couple of points here, okay? Notice what he says there. He says, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. Here's the other thing I want you to see about the acceptance with God. Remember I told you God opens your mind and brings you to that place of salvation? Here's the second thing I want you to see. Salvation is God's predetermined plans for believers. Before the foundation of the earth, God predetermined that salvation would be this for believers. He predetermined that it would not be by their efforts, but rather by grace. That was his predetermined plan. In fact, that's what Paul's saying here. Before I was even separated from my mother's womb, God, you had already had this plan. We're in the study this week in Resonate, chapter 1. We talked about the calling of Jeremiah. What did it say there in chapter 1 about Jeremiah? While he was being formed in his mother's womb, God what? Called him. See, this is the issue of salvation. It's from God. That's the point he's making here. It's from God. Understand that. Which brings me to the second point. Well, actually, let me just back up. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Look at what Paul says. Out of the passage, verse 8 and 9, he says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse, verse 8 and 9. Then you come to verse 10. For we are his workmanship. This is talking about how salvation works in your life. Listen. For we are his workmanships created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, what's good works? Obedience. See, of salvation is the basis for your obedience, which God prepared, what? Beforehand that we should walk in them. He's got a plan for you. Obedience is a response to what? The salvation he gives you. So here's the final thing I want you to see here. Salvation results in a transformed life. This is the result. Salvation results in a transformed life. Listen to Paul's testimony, verse 23 and 24. He says this, But they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. So here's this guy who is zealous for Judaism. He's persecuting the church, trying to destroy it. God enters into his life, saves him through faith. 
It changes him to the point that what? The very thing that he was trying to destroy earlier, he was now what? Preaching it to others. And they realized what? That God had changed their lives. Changed Paul's life. See, here's the thing about salvation. Can I be honest with you? God changes you. And when he changes you, obedience comes out of that. Do you understand? Because before he changed you, when you were saved, were you obedient? No. So he gave you what? Here's what the Bible says he gave you. New Testament gave you a new heart. Not a new muscle pumping the blood through your chest, although some of us would like that as we get older, right? It's not a new heart, but a new essence of who you are. A new mind. A new purpose. And from that, your life changes because you what? Live for him. In fact, isn't that what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says, be not conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you're able to determine what is the good and perfect will of God, right? Now that word transform, we get that from, the Greek word is metamorph, metamorphosis. Do you understand metamorphosis? Remember biology in high school? You remembered about the um, the butterflies. They enter into a what? That little worm. That little caterpillar enters into a what? A chrysalis. And we we did that. I remember we had we had that as with our kids. And you know, there it's hanging there. And when it goes through the process, that caterpillar changes into what? A butterfly, right? How did that happen? From the inside out. From the inside out. Salvation changes you from the inside out. So obedience comes as a result of who you are, which is constantly being changed through what? Salvation. You see the nature of the gospel? Do you see how, can I be honest with you, whether we've realized it or not, we've been laying on layer after layer of religious barbecue sauce on the gospel. Do this, do this, do this. And the reality is, is that it has nothing to do with your acceptance with Jesus. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what he's building to here. So let me give you two thoughts as we close. Okay. Here's the first one. It, you need to stop and think about why does God accept you. You need to you need to stop and think about that. Why does God accept you? I'm going to tell you right now. It has nothing to do with what you're doing. 
But that's so hard for people to grasp. I remember years ago, someone came to our church, and at first they were like, oh, this is a great place to be. But after a while, I mean, it's not just one person. I've had several people come to me and tell me, after a while, they're like, oh, we really love this place. And then there's the big three-letter word. But... And then, as I think about those different people, here's what they said. Uh, but, shouldn't we dress up for the Lord? Because, you know, if you're going to go see the queen or the president, you need to dress up. You know, shouldn't we dress up for the Lord? No, no, we don't need to do that for God. Should, shouldn't, shouldn't you be stressing this, or shouldn't you be stressing that, or shouldn't you be doing this, or shouldn't you be doing this? And, and, and then eventually... Because we're not doing any of that. And shouldn't we just be singing this type of music? And shouldn't we, shouldn't we do this or just have the piano? Or, and, and then eventually, I'll be honest with you, they leave. They don't leave in a huff. They just leave. You quit seeing them. And I know what's going on. And I grieve for them. And I still grieve for them because every once in a while I still see them around town or in Clearfield or at Walmart. Why do you grieve for them, George? Well, because they think being accepted by God means doing a whole bunch of stuff. Did you understand what I'm saying? When, that's nice if you want to go somewhere where you dress up all the time. Great, wonderful. But we're not at that here, okay? But I'm, I'm just telling you. But that has nothing to do with whether or not you get accepted by God. Do you understand? So that's why I'm asking you, when you think about you and your acceptance with Jesus, you can find out whether or not you've been deceived by just thinking about why does God accept you? And if it's anything other than the fact that he accepts you because of what Jesus did for you, there's a problem. There's a problem. Because you're not that good enough. And there's nothing special about you. There's nothing special about me. It's just purely his grace. Do you understand? He reached out and touched you. Not you reaching out to touch him. Here's the second thing. Allow the unconditional acceptance to transform your life. That's the other thing that comes out of this passage. Allow the unconditional acceptance of God, that grace of God which was shown to you by the Lord, Allow that to change your life. Because remember what I said, if somebody did something for you to got you out of that dire situation we're in, you'd be like, yeah, I'll do whatever that guy wants for me. I'll do it for him. That's the response that needs to be given to who? Jesus, who did everything for you. And I'll be honest with you. I think if you head in that direction... You'll find a joy again. You'll want to do whatever for him. 
And that's what we're going to see here. Let me pray for you.